0: Welcome to The Golden Shadow. My name is Lisa Plaitzi.
1: And I'm Aaron Rogerson.
0: Today we're exploring the dynamics of stalled maturation through the lens of Peter Pan syndrome, the Puer Puella complex, individuals who have stayed too long within adolescent psychology. And this is often characterized by an inability to muster one's own mature attitude, to really step into the deeper responsibilities of adulthood. really kind of living a provisional life, you might say.
1: And this phenomenon is fairly prevalent nowadays, at least it's in the cultural consciousness. Mm. As we're observing people seemingly taking longer and longer to grow up, just as a natural pattern. Yeah. The idea that 30 is the new 20. (laughs) And um, also there's talk of people who just aren't growing up ever Mm. at all. People Mm. who won't move out of their parents' house. These individuals are mostly men, we tend to think of, but maybe that's not so cut and dry mm. as we tend to think in the culture. But there's a lot of reasons for this. I mean, there's cultural reasons, there's sort of the patterns of modernity, modernity, excuse me, that might disrupt the natural maturation pattern, mm. kind of obliterate natural rites of passage for young people or the kinds of ways in which they're actually going out into the world and sort of claiming their own identity and their own reality. Those things have changed rapidly in the last several decades. Um, but there's also changes in parenting. There's the idea of being Mm -hmm. spoiled. There's overprotective parents. There's the prevention of experiencing hardship or difficulty or struggles as a child. And, So that kind of relates to the idea of individuation and Peter Pan syndrome could be maybe thought of as sort of stalled individuation or prevented individuation in some Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. You're not really becoming the person that you're meant to be. You're not really becoming the adult. You're not really becoming, um, you know, the heroic figure that strives out into the world and kind of transforms into um, the king or something, changes Mm -hmm. from the king, sorry, changes from the boy to the king. So there's a lot of things going on here, and we're kind of getting at sort of the core pattern perhaps of stalled maturation.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to consider this being more of a manifestation of an evolved culture because you don't really have, in theory, the luxury to be a Puerh in older, more ancient times, you Mm -hmm. might say. Like maybe there might have been a propensity or a desire to not really grow up or to not sacrifice your own desires, but that wasn't really an option. And as civilization grows, as technology advances, as there's more a sense of kind of freedom of how to live one's life, there's more potentiality for a lot of growth and interesting things to develop, but there's also ways to to grow in bad ways or to not grow, I guess you might say. Mm -hmm. So it's just an interesting thing to consider when this really started to crop up and become a a noticeable phenomena. And I would think that it it would be something a little bit more tied to the more evolved dynamics of culture.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a pattern here over time, definitely. And Mm -hmm. as you said, I don't think that remaining a child forever has really been an option for many people in history um, because you wouldn't survive. Yeah, Um, There's probably cases where there were people who for some reason inherited huge amounts of wealth and power Mm. who were allowed to maintain sort of a uh, childish kind of behavior their Mm. entire life, like a Mm -hmm. prince or something like that. I'm sure there's some archetypal mythological pattern to that, like the prince who won't grow up Mm -hmm. or the the prince who's not fit to be king Mm -hmm. is inheriting that power regardless. But we can understand that part of growing up is hardship and struggle and having to kind of like carve your path through a difficult world. And that's pretty universal. And you can understand why in some ways a natural inclination that we have is to avoid hardship Mm right we don't want to go through pain yeah. we don't want to suffer and that's natural so given the opportunity to avoid pain and suffering our most basic instinct is to to take that opportunity yeah and say if i don't have to do this work i won't do it mm. or if i don't have to like suffer this wound i won't suffer it mm. and so it makes sense that mm as culture evolved, as society changed and modernized, that people would be provided increasingly with the option to not experience hardship. Yeah. And that's complicated, mm-hmm. right? Because there's obviously the possibility of too much hardship. Yeah. Too much struggle. Yeah. Uh, you know, that. I mean, that's what death is. Essentially is your body is being faced with overwhelming hardship or overwhelming mm-hmm. chaos and disorder. You mm-hmm. might say that kind of rips it apart. Yeah. And that might be in the form of like, you know, I'm starving to death or, being hit by a car, even those are forms of like too much chaos happening to your body too quickly. Yeah. Uh, that's possible too much hardship, right? But the the opposite end of not enough hardship is kind of what we're getting at. Yes. And the, in our modern world, it depend, depends who you are, but mm. on average, I'd say you can get away with doing less work and experiencing less struggle than people probably could get away with in the past.
0: Yeah, yeah. But you brought up an interesting point that kind of like was leading me into this tangent in my mind about how in older, more ancient times, there might have been a position afforded an individual in a place of power that – may have been nurtured or sheltered in some way that allowed the poo air to really take hold. And I think that's an important point to really recognize. And mm-hmm. I think you see it in certain fiction or mythology. Like the first thing that came to mind is one of my favorite fantasy series by the author Robin Hobb. There's like three sons of the king and two of them Which series? Of, um the Farseer trilogy.
1: Farseer. Yeah, Farseer
0: yeah. Trilogy. It's It's one of my favorite series of books. Anyways, there are the three main sons, and the two older ones are kind of raised in this way of responsibility and duty and being active in military and really being shaped into kinghood. And then there was a younger brother, kind of born a little bit later of another wife who was coddled and overly nurtured and spoiled rotten. And eventually he kind of comes into power. And his puer complex is incredibly destructive. Mm-hmm. He's moving from this place of selfishness. He is very egotistical. He's narrow-minded, and you see how the puer, when given a, a sense of power, especially the symbolic power of a king, mm-hmm. how it can uh, bring destruction upon you know the symbolic kingdom. Right. So you can think about it in that way through like that kind of fictional story about how when an individual has some level of power in, in an environment and they are the one making the choices, it's, it's incredibly destructive or it kind of weaves these uh, threads of, of fractures into a place and it really can cause a lot of strife for many people.
1: Right. So with great power comes great yes. responsibility. Yep. Right. That's, true. The, that's the Spider-Man quote. Yeah. But It's true. And that's in in a quote unquote natural world, Mm -hmm. you might say responsibility would be coupled with power. Yeah. And what's unusual is when they become decoupled, Mm -hmm. when when someone is given power or luxury or privilege Mm -hmm. without the associated responsibility. Yes. They haven't earned it. Right. They're not ready for it.
0: That's why like the princes or the princesses are schooled. Yeah. And- Put diligently through these kind of training programs, you might say, to become mm. worthy of their role. And if you take that out of like the sense of like a, a, a royalty having to run a kingdom and thinking about it symbolically in one's own personal life, yeah. what are the rigors and the initiations and the rites that you have to go through to shape and challenge your own psyche to finally allow the puer to be uh, transformed into right. the adult? So we need these tests. We need the challenges. We need to be pushed out of our comfort zones, mm-hmm. so that we be, we're prepared, really, to step into that place of res- of self responsibility.
1: Right. Some other myths, modern myths, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm reminded of our um, Joffrey.
0: Yes. In Game of Thrones. Yes, right? that's a good one. Yes. Um,
1: I mean, he is kind of a <laughs> child in the story, but he's given a huge amount of power and but, he doesn't have the, yes. the uh, maturation to yes. wield it properly. They
0: they needed a heavier hand with Joffrey, right? you know, and he was allowed free reign to really exercise all mm. of these pretty intense emotional desires yeah. that he had. But on the flip side, you have Tommen, right? The younger brother mm. who approached his kinghood in a much more responsible way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and listen to Tywin, who is sort of the the Senex, yeah. you yes. might say, who's like the yes. old wise mm-hmm. commander who has the responsibility and yeah. earned it, and he coupled with the Puharekain mm-hmm. things kind of remain stable and balanced. Yes. Um, also, Commodus from Gladiator, <laughs> he's like the son. I mean, he's he's a real historical figure, but he's fictionalized in Gladiator. But he's yeah. the son of Marcus Aurelius, and um, he inherits well he murders his father that's part of the plot and he inherits the um empire of rome mm. and he's not responsible he's uh, a sort of shameful immature um spiteful yeah emperor mm. and he doesn't deserve his power and mm. so i can't remember, actually there, there's probably more examples of this but um we digress a bit i would say <laughs> so uh let's talk about peter pan yeah the myth of right. peter pan yeah
0: Peter Pan's interesting because it's the story that was crafted in the early 1900s, but man, did it really capture the collective consciousness uh, in a powerful way that it's not only become this treasured childhood story, but also been morphed into this association to the the adult who won't grow up. Mm -hmm. So Peter is the boy who refuses that maturation process and lives in a place of fantasy forever in Neverland. Mm. And there's all these really interesting symbols and dynamics going on in the story. Uh, like in the beginning he's lost his shadow and so he's chasing it around trying to find it and that takes him up to where the, the darling's house is and he meets Wendy and the brothers.
1: That's interesting. He loses his shadow. Yeah. It's not really something I thought about. I, I don't know if we should imbue that dynamic with too much meaning as far as like the, no, uh, the young just, Ian shadow goes where it's like yeah, yeah. the child is not in contact with his unconscious. <laughs> right it's just like he loses his shadow and the shadow runs free without him yeah and it's like he doesn't have the responsibility to properly integrate the shadow yeah, yeah. so the, the shadow is like going off on its own yeah anyways just interesting and it's a little
0: trickstery i think i'm like i'm trying sure. to bring these images to mind from the movie of mm-hmm. like the, the shadow kind of like dodging him and stuff so right. his shadow is even more trickstery than peter pan is who he's honestly a, a pretty trickstery hero type um, main character you might say but um yeah so you have this whole story of watching the dynamics of an individual who won't grow up but also pulling other people into it you know he brings wendy and the brothers Hmm. and there's also this sort of perpetual cycle that even when wendy decides to grow up to return to England or to not keep going to Neverland that Peter returns for her daughter and then her daughter after that. So there is a sense that the Puer will try and keep pulling individuals mm. into that space because they don't want to grow.
1: Right. Right. And that, that's part of like sort of the original uh-huh. play. Uh-huh. Yes. Right. Yeah. he keeps bringing the daughters yeah. back in. Yeah. Or the original story. The original story. Written written from the play. Not, not the Disney movie. No, no. Yeah. Before that. But, mm-hmm. but that is part of... Um, Peter Pan syndrome, the, the, some pattern that's associated often with the Peter Pan syndrome in, in men is that they will just date younger women mm. and they'll continuously try to date younger women mm. because it's a way to escape maturation. Mm. They yes. can kind of stay playful. And right. Because they're not at Low that, stakes. Yeah. They're
0: not at that and point in their life.
1: Right. Right. The, the, the 60 year old man is actually, you know, 20 inside. Mm-hmm. And so he dates someone, a girl who's 20 and it's mm. like, we can both be 20 together. And right. Right. So that's interesting. Yeah. That that's that, d- that dynamic is happening in Peter Pan.
0: hmm Um, some other things that kind of came to mind with the story is is his uh his adversary with Hook, who is kind of like a Senex figure, you might say, being that yeah. kind of opposing to the trickster Pu'er. Uh Puer, by the way, is Latin for like young boy, Puella, young girl.
1: Right. Senex so- is Sort of old man. Establishes sort of kind of like yeah. a, a dualism, like two directions, yeah, like towards the puer, mm-hmm. towards the cynics as yeah. far as maturation. Yes, yeah. the young, the young boy, or the inner child, you know, yeah, and the wise man,
0: right. And not that Hook is like particularly like wise. Well, or yeah, he's not the, trying v- to the virtuous cynics. Yeah, I guess vi- you could exactly. say he's yeah, like he's the shadow cynics. Yeah, he's like got like a, some a, a negative valence to him, and yeah, he, him and Peter are caught in this like eternal battle. But what I find really compelling with looking at it through that symbolic eye is that not only is Peter being chased by the Senex, but they're also being chased by the alligator who's got the clock mm. inside of his belly. And there's that tick, 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 right. tick. So time, time uh-huh. is chasing mm. after both of them as well. And there's that interesting consideration of what it means for the 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 individual who will not grow up, you know, time's going to catch up with you at a certain point.
1: Right, but Peter is not really bothered by the alligator. No. He's not bothered by time. But,
0: he doesn't feel but, feel Hook, but Hook is. But Hook
1: is, you know, and yeah. Hook is the, the adult mm-hmm. who actually has a strong concept of time. Yeah. And is afraid of it. He and is
0: afraid of it, yeah. Maybe
1: there is some sense of, like, needing to get things done and needing to be responsible and sort of, uh, do things on time. And that's sort of adults can get kind of overly fixated with like time and like Mm -hmm. having to take care of business. Mm. And so there is again, this tension that we, you know, already there's a balance, right. And we're we're talking about this tension between being overly childish being, and then being overly, um, an adult.
0: Right. Or yeah, rigid.
1: And there's, there's a bias on either side yes where it's like, you're being too rigid. You're being too, you have too much of a, a sense of maturity that's preventing you from seeing mm. a lot of the beauty in the world or the playfulness yes. or the openness yes. or how to have a good time, enjoy yourself, mm-hmm. experience emotions and feelings. Yes. So there's something is something at play yeah. with this myth.
0: Yeah, that starts to tap into that complexity behind... The terminology that we're using, or even the implications of the more kind of Latin side of the terminology, with the puer eternus being uh, the eternal child, mm-hmm. and that the eternal child does have this quality that has to be cultivated within oneself, but kept in balance, and that that is this kind of important energy that has to be held onto while you also mature. And that's like the tension as one grows up is like, how do you integrate uh, being a youth into becoming an adult? And that's actually a really different uh, threshold. It's a difficult threshold to really cross. And people who are kind of stuck in Peter Pan syndrome are stalled at that threshold, you might say.
1: Right. So the Wasp Boys... Another important yeah, symbolic um, group in the story, Yeah, right, yeah. is um, all these children that are kind of stuck in Neverland, mm-hmm. and Peter is their leader. Yeah, And I, again, I don't really know the original play very well, but is there much of a backstory for Peter or the Lost Boys um, of how they got stuck in neverland or how they ran away it implies that
0: like they were like lost from like kensington gardens like that these were real children Mm -hmm. who like somehow ended up in this place or that it's kind of like a a metaphor for how the author's brother died at a young age at like age 14 and he kind Mm -hmm. of lived on eternally so Mm -hmm. there's this sort of feeling of like are these children kind of you know deceased and kind of living on as these images of children forever But also that these actual Lost Boys or even Peter might have been children in England that were lost or maybe they ran away. So that's kind of more of like the mythic side of it or the fictional side. And they don't want to return home. Mm -hmm. Um, Although the Lost Boys do eventually go back with Wendy.
1: Right, so the pattern here of Peter wanting to recruit people to mm-hmm. be a puer with him yes. eternally yes. and recruiting people to Neverland and saying, mm-hmm. let's stay here and play forever. Yes. And you can see this playing out in the culture yeah. and in social scenes perhaps mm-hmm. where there are individuals who really would like to continue their, their way of life without having to change, mm-hmm. without experiencing hardship, yes. without sort of facing reality. And they can sort of create a vortex around them of um, only people that are around them who will enable them to continue their lifestyle.
0: I have another important thing to bring up in regards to that Mm. because Wendy's role, do you remember like why she actually goes to Neverland?
1: Well, she's like mom. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So, the puer complex, especially from like the Jungian point of view, is very much tied to the mother complex or having this tie to like the symbolic energy of mothering, mm-hmm. where that over-nurturance is keeping an individual kind of in the nest. And Wendy comes in as the mother to the lost boys. And yeah. it's because something is missing, right? Like yeah. the puer wants to be held in the arms of the mother right. because they haven't felt. Uh, ready or they don't have that sense of maturation to leave the mother. So there's that yearning for that comfort and that safety and also like whatever they provide that kind of keeps that environment as it is. Mm -hmm. So Peter is recruiting Wendy to come be the mother. And that's a really important thing to recognize with the, the Peter Pan syndrome in kind of regular, uh, uh, life in reality, that mm-hmm. there is this this yearning for something to keep nurturing um, yourself and the environment to stay the same.
1: Right. So seeking out individuals around you who will continue to play with you, mm. continue to enable your lifestyle. Yeah. And perhaps staying around your real parents, mm-hmm. staying around real mom who will keep keep taking care of things yeah, for you, or trying to replace mom with someone else yeah. who is going to continue to take care of you. Right. Yeah. So we brought up the idea that a puer type might be searching for a significant other that might be a child mm. so they can continue to play together, mm-hmm. or the puer might be seeking a mother, yeah, mother and a significant other yes. who will continue to take care of most of the responsibility. Yeah. And these sort of uh, feed in to their um, proclivities for, you know, um, superficial, simple, cheap, fun ways of being and mm-hmm. not really ever getting into sort of like the darkness of life, yes. the reality, the hardship, the shadow contents. Mm-hmm. So how does this myth end? I'm wondering, is there some sort of, <laughs> cause you know, like what, what's, what's like yeah. the, uh, the lesson here if, if we're paying attention to this myth as some sort of uh, lesson about yeah. this pattern or about life?
0: Well, it's interesting because there's, the recognition that Peter decides to not grow up like he he fights it he gets angry at Wendy for wanting to go back eventually the lost boys do leave but Peter perpetuates so you might say that he is like the eternal puer like mm. his is not a story of redemption where he decides to grow up he is that snapshot of what it means to be stuck in the puer complex so mm. that to me is the heart it's very similar to me um the Peter Pan story brings more of that essence of the fairy tale yeah. rather than like the large mythic story with a, a real arc of closure, but it's more mm. like this snapshot of like complex dynamics and life experience. And it, and it right. shows the pitfalls of staying within the Puer air complex, but it also kind of hints at what may be if you were to leave that, like you see Wendy leave and she becomes an adult and she can n- nurture the lost boys and a, and usher them into adulthood rather than yeah. keeping them stuck in the puer state mm-hmm. and peter on the flip side continues to be a child um but one thing i thought would be kind of fun to talk about is the adaptation of a kind of sequel you might say of hook the film yeah. which certainly is maybe not like actual peter pan canon but um it's a great it's a great
1: film might as well be now <laughs> that film is so well known yeah steven spielberg i yeah. think so Robin Williams mm-hmm. plays Peter Pan. Yes. And he is a working man mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And he has a family. He has a family. He has children. hmm And he is completely engrossed in his work. Yes. Right? That's how the movie starts. Yeah. It's like he's he like, won't put down the phone yeah, or he won't relax and yeah. start enjoying his vacation. Right. He's still trying to make deals. Yes. Yeah. I can't remember what his job is. Just, just like kind of like token um, business. businessman. Yeah. Um, we
0: got to make the deal. We got to make the deal. Right, right.
1: And so there's this illustration of like things have gone too far in yes. the other direction. Yes. Right? So we recognize there's vice in not growing up. Mm-hmm. There's vice in being stunted. There's vice in the child. Mm-hmm. But there's a balance here. And the opposite problem for a lot of people yeah. is the opposite of Peter Pan syndrome. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure if there's uh, any technical term for what that would be or whether or, not, whether or not that would even be considered like a disorder, Yeah, even though Peter Pan syndrome is not considered like an official no, recognized it, yes, disorder. it's not. But um, the individual who has completely lost touch with the inner child mm-hmm. and they've sort of become like hardened, like cold-hearted. Yes. They're vessels of productivity. Mm-hmm. They're sort of sacrificing the feeling perhaps even loving side of themselves Mm -hmm. in favor of getting something done. Yeah. And so (sighs) Peter in hook has gone too far in the other direction. Yes. Almost like he's gone from one extreme to the other and has failed to find the proper balance in between.
0: Yeah. That's the story of Peter growing up and banishing the child to the shadow. Mm -hmm. And the entire arc of the film is that Peter has to go back to Neverland and reclaim the young Puer. He has to learn how to fly again. He has to learn how to imagine. He has to become the leader. Of the lost boys, he has to save his children, and he can only do that by tapping into that part of himself that he had repressed. Right. So that shows this interesting dynamic of what happens when we might have a recognition, maybe, of Mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, like, what am I doing with my life? And then you swing so far in the other direction that you're still... In a kind of pathological dynamic, you've just replaced it with something else. yeah. and to me, the the kind of moral of this story is trying to hit that sweet spot between the two that Peter can mature and step into adulthood but not lose the Puer Eternus. We with the eternal child within each of us is an incredibly important archetypal structure that helps us feel connected to this imaginative, creative, open, loving part of our being. And when we banish it, when we get too wrapped up in these uh structures and rigidity, we will suffer just in a in a different way than the Puer.
1: So let's get a little bit deeper into maybe the real life pattern mm. of Peter Pan syndrome. Mm. Or the eternal child yeah or the poor eternus it's not clear all those things are actually synonymous but we're essentially using them as synonyms but um we're talking about being spoiled right yeah that's that's a pretty commonly used phrase to describe people who have refused to grow up or have failed to launch or they have stalled maturation Mm. and what I think is sort of interesting about this idea is it's not necessarily just an individual thing, but it can also be kind of like a cultural thing. And one, one term that is used, I think that describes a similar pattern is decadence. Hmm. We won't get too deeply into that, but Hmm. the idea that a culture has become so privileged Hmm. and has had so much peace and luxury for so long that it's actually become out of touch Hmm. with reality, with hardship. And when that happens, like, some crazy flood you might say we did an episode on the flood but some crazy disaster or some destructive force can just come and level the culture because it's not resilient anymore Mm. it's not anchored Mm. it's not grounded in um a kind of structure that um you know helps give it strength and purpose Mm. and drive Right, so this can be ha- this can happen in the individual. It can happen in a group of people. It can happen in a social scene. It can be in a community, but it can even be an entire society. Yeah. And so we have to recognize that this is a larger pattern in society mm. of people taking longer to grow up or relinquishing responsibility. Um, for whatever reason yeah. and it's it's not so much that individuals are making this choice intelligently as it's just sort of happening to them mm-hmm. like a lot of people are kind of suffering because they're not actually going through the proper um, stages of growth and education that they actually really need
0: right so well it seems counterintuitive right because yeah. to to really lean into maturation and individuation is to confront oneself with difficulty and challenge with confrontation as much as you have inspiration and potential and all of those nice things that kind of fuel development, you have the flip side because there's always, you know, that double sided coin to all of these archetypal dynamics Hmm. and the darker experiences shape us just as much. So when that falls away, for whatever reason, you start to see the imbalance forming where an individual or society's actual resiliency is 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 pretty hollow. It's like a farce. It's like maybe on the surface this person looks like they're resilient or they have the inner strength or they have a sense of deep character, but actually they don't. And that gets put to the test when something starts to happen in life. And then what does the puer do? they might try to skirt those responsibilities they try to run away from it at all costs that feeling of pressure of challenge of limitation is something that elicits a feeling of of uh, anxiety of i don't like this you mm-hmm. know it's there is a total adverse reaction to it when instead to some degree we as individuals i believe need to be open to the discomfort and the challenge and the confrontation
1: Right. So there's you know this notion of balance again, but of being on the edge of chaos. Yeah. Not being too far inside safety, mm-hmm. but also not being too far inside danger. Yeah. Like both uh are going to result in improper growth. I mean, if you're if you're too far in danger, like you might die or you might be injured or mm. wounded or traumatized and we don't yeah. want that, right? You don't want to be so as I already said, you don't want to be so exposed to hardship that it actually wounds you in a permanent way. That's not good. We don't want to impose that upon people. And the flip side is being too far inside safety. So there's like, you know, like the the walls of the city. So if you're just too safe inside the city walls, you're not learning or growing. You're not changing. You're not being forced to individuate mm. in any way. Mm-hmm. But if you're outside the city walls in the wild where like the monsters and the dragons are, like you'll just be t- torn to pieces. Yeah. So you want to somehow kind of be on the border and there's ways that you can, you know, sort of will yourself to stay on that border and to do things that scare you regularly and mm. to expose yourself to um, challenges challenges. Kind of develop a hunger for challenge, develop a hunger for things that kind of um, push you and stretch you and Mm. kind of twist you around. And, you know, we recognize that with like physical exercise, obviously, that like beating up your body just a little bit is actually good. Mm -hmm. Going for a run, lifting weights, doing yoga your body might hurt afterwards. And Mm -hmm. that's because you're actually exposing it to proper hardship and it grows strong. If you don't exercise at all, like your body's going to freak out and Mm -hmm. it's not going to know what's happening. It's not going to grow properly, especially for people who are developing people who are young, people children, children need physical activity. And if you keep a child away from physical activity, they don't grow physically properly. Yes. And the same is true for our emotional world for the, for our psyche is there needs to be proper exposure to that danger. Yeah. That kind of, pulling and pushing and twisting, mm. um, that really sculpts you into the person you're meant to be. Someone who can handle, um, irregularities, who can handle sort of unexpected challenges, things coming your way that disrupt the order of things and you need to know how to act in those situations, put the pieces back together, mm-hmm. um, but that, this also ties into yeah. parenting.
0: Yes. Yes. That's the point I was going to make.
1: <laughs> right? So you're trying to treat yourself this way, but it's also the parent's role is to be the guardian. Yeah. But the guardian doesn't just keep the child out of the water. Here's mm-hmm. a different metaphor um, that I like. But if you're a parent and uh, let's say the ocean is life, I guess you'd say- it's like you might want to keep the child out of the ocean because you're so afraid that the child's going to drown mm. that you're just like, you can't go in. Yeah. But that's not good for the child mm-hmm. because the child never learns how to swim. Yeah. And then when the, the parent disappears, what the hell is the child going to do? Yeah. Like he needs to get into the ocean. So you would wade with the child into the shallows and you would let them play around in there and you would kind of show them how to mm-hmm. swim and you would run and grab them if they get too far out and keep them safe. And as they grow, you give, let them go a little bit further out. Maybe you let them actually swim out by themselves just a little bit and come back real quick. Mm-hmm. And they grow even more and they get yeah. older. And then they swim out even further. And you're mm-hmm. giving them tips and making sure they're safe. And maybe there's a shark every once in a while that you need to swim out and like punch in the face <laughs> like to protect your kid. <laughs> but eventually, the kid's is going to swim off into the ocean forever. And you have to say, you're ready. Go. Mm. And it's not just like, well, what if he drowns? It's like, that's life. Yeah. <laughs> you have to let them go into the unknown we'll eventually also have
0: confidence in the training right in, mm-hmm. in how you guided them through this process of development that you strengthened their muscles that you gave them courage to not fear the water and you, having resolve as a parent in your teachings and that you've done your best and then also recognizing that you know as your child swims out they might get caught in you know a current and they're gonna have to figure out how to get out of it but they know that they should swim sideways and like get out of that undertow like there are all of these skill sets and lessons and insights yeah. that you've given and then they need to put that to the test and overcoming those challenges continues to show the the youthful psyche that it has the ability to move deeper and deeper into life and that's why you see that kind of over-nurturance as a characterization of the puer syndrome because an individual has had all of their challenges or hardships or a a high degree of them taken by somebody else. And that doesn't shape the character to be courageous.
1: Yeah. So there's certainly some failures here. And again, I I don't think it's really very useful to blame anyone. Mm. Um, But there's failures in education. And there's failures in mentorship Mm. and there's, there's failures in rites of passage. Yeah. Yeah. There's all these things that young people should be going through Mm. to help them be initiated into adulthood that aren't happening. And it's hard to say what they should look like exactly Mm -hmm. or even what they were in the past. Obviously we have concrete examples from history that we can look at to be Mm. like, what was the aging process for young people in this tribe or in this society? And those things are missing now, mm. um, and it's not clear how to bring them back, but there is a is a failure here for for young people to have the proper environment in which to grow, Yeah, and that's a, r- a real tragedy, I think, because there's so many young people who are being sort of like spat out into the world who mm. just have no idea how to do this. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know how to swim, and yet they're thrown into the ocean anyways. Mm. And th- there's so much trauma that comes from that, Mm. there's so many broken relationships there's so many wasted resources even that just go into trying to slap band-aids on these terrible um tragic patterns that young people find themselves in and it's it's hard to go back and fix that yeah you know it's like you have like a kind of like an opportunity when children are ages Mm -hmm. between the ages of like 10 and 20 i guess i would say I mean earlier than that, obviously, but ten mm-hmm. and twenty is really key. There's like a there's that time to experience that maturation process in a mm-hmm. proper way, and if you miss it, it's not clear that you can kind of go back and do it. Yeah, so it might be like too late.
0: You're bringing up an interesting point for me, which is considering like the puera puella from this sort of different position where I think at times the mindset is dominated by a sense of like inflation and they're mm. like self-importance is incredibly high, Yeah, uh, wanting independence and freedom. They don't want to sacrifice their personal desires and dreams. They don't want to be tied down. They don't like boundaries and limits because mm-hmm. it's always been like, maybe, you know, give, give, give anything you want, what, what you desire goes. But on the flip side might be the, the puer Puella It's coming from maybe like a more deflated personality and that sense of childhood fear and anxiety is what characterizes the psyche because you brought up like the kind of failures of like the education system as an Mm -hmm. example, which I think is – really important Mm. it's like how many of us graduate like we don't even know how to open a bank account right we have to decide our college majors we don't even know who we are we haven't been initiated into adulthood in any capacity and there's a real sense of just being thrown out into the deep end and for some people lacking uh the feeling of support or the knowledge or skill set just retreat from life they kind of withdraw in a way and they get stuck in a kind of adolescent place where they might just want to hermit and play video games and never truly grow up because life is too scary
1: right right it kind of makes me think of and i hadn't thought about this before but i feel like young people but at least in our culture i can't I can't speak for the rest of the world but like in in our culture young people experience a lot of negative feedback hmm. like they go through bad experiences they go through bad relationships, bad breakups. Maybe they're actually abused as children. Um, they go through a lot of feelings of failure. They try to do things in school and in sports or all kinds of extracurricular activities and they fail. Mm. And there's all these lessons that come from that, right? Yeah. Lessons that come from failure. Mm-hmm. But like what's really lacking is like where's the positive reinforcement? Mm-hmm. Like where are like the, the, the life lessons, like yep. the wisdom, these sort of structures that are built to kind of like Provide you with the kind of um, patterns of growth and orientation and skills for navigation. Yeah, those are really lacking mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So it's yeah. it's not just you throw young people into the thresher and like they grow up <laughs> because they were just slapped so many times yeah. and poked and stabbed that now they're adults. It's like no, like that. that <laughs> That's, the hardship's important, but like what's really lacking is like where are the mentors or where, yeah. where are the people that you can talk to to say like, I don't know how to navigate my romantic relationship with my partner mm. and I'm 15. Mm-hmm. Like who do I talk to? It's yeah. like you can talk to your parents, but often that's not, doesn't feel very appropriate or helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, your friends don't know any more than you do. And yeah. maybe you have like the occasional like virtuous teacher who goes above and beyond who can mm-hmm. provide this idea. But it's mm-hmm. like. A lot of that is, is lacking. Yeah. And again, it's not clear like exactly why. It's not clear if, like who's to blame for this like mm. or anything like like this was like intentionally structured this way. It's like, mm, it's not clear. A lot of it's just sort of dissolved or fallen away over time. Mm-hmm. A, lot of the, a lot of the roles that would have been filled by family or members of your small community right. or village or tribe.
0: Yeah. Or spiritual leaders, things like that. Yeah.
1: Those things have kind of um, retreated in their access or just completely um, receded in their existence. And that's, that's a tough question.
0: Yeah. It points to dynamics within society where the, uh, the kind of interwoven web of community helps support each other so that it all doesn't fall on like one or two parents. It's like, how can you be everything to your children? Like Mm -hmm. you cannot, it's, I can't imagine how difficult it is to be a parent. I am not one. But doing it in the context of present-day reality where often the the weight of responsibility for keeping food on the table, four walls up, supporting your children, not messing them up too much, like taking care of yourself, cultivating your romantic partnership, yeah. your family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's so much. But yeah. when you have like a dynamic of a community that comes together so that the child can turn towards an older cousin as an Mm -hmm. example, or a spiritual leader or a grandma or grandpa. It's it's spread out. And then also all of those individuals give their own unique wisdom Mm -hmm. and you want little pieces from all of those people. You don't want to just have a small uh, subset of, of, energy and opinion and insight you want it to be diversified amongst all the individuals who have had these different walks of life and i think maybe some people do still have that if they're in closer uh, knit communities or they have a larger extended family but for a lot of us i don't think that is as present and that is a loss
1: just briefly why why does it seem like this pattern is more prevalent in men than in women. Peter, yeah. Peter Pan syndrome, usually you think of men. It's
0: mm-hmm.
1: so the whole idea of like the man-child. It's yeah. thrown around a lot right nowadays. Man child. Mm-hmm. And I guess the question is like, is, is it actually true that this is more prevalent in men than women? Or is it just sort of a strange illusion because it looks different in yeah. men than it looks in women? Mm-hmm. Is there a cultural standard that we have inherited that forces too much responsibility on men to appear as you know these authorities Mm. these um these brainers of order and structure and breadwinner and Mm. that when that fails the contrast from that sort of cultural archetype is more extreme in Mm -hmm. men than it is for women yeah what do you think
0: yeah i think that's true definitely it there has to be a recognition of like the archetypal sort of typical patterns that are happening and the uh, the natural kind of relationship that we have to it, the expectations, the recognition that we seem to associate Peter Pan syndrome more to men or to a man child. It's like, what's a woman child. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that ever. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so that's part of it. I think Peter Pan syndrome is, nests under the masculine archetype a little bit more, but I think it also does look different for women because the, the natural sort of heroine's journey takes a woman through a different progression where kind of getting stuck in the Puella uh, complex is going to have a markedly different sort of manifestation than men. And it's, it's tough to say that it it's obvious from the uh, kind of outward manifestation, like what's happening with uh, either a man or a woman. But I think for, for women, if I was to really kind of lean into that, I would consider that you could see – them moving through what appears to be a type of maturation even having a child which forces you into maturity yet still there's a part of the psyche that has not really grown up there's like the denial of motherhood being stuck or wanting having almost like what's the the typical kind of feeling of it of of feeling uh, not regretful but there is um like they're angry that they became a mother or like, it's like, I didn't want this responsibility. There's just a desire to just toss that out. Mm-hmm. But in some ways you're still so tied as a mother to the child. The abandonment of a child is not something we typically see with mothers. Yeah. There's just a greater kind of biological connection, but the resentment, that's what I was looking for, can still be there. So I think for women, it, it just does look very, very different. Mm -hmm. And we have to recognize that the masculine experience is different and that maybe that journey for the typical masculine psyche is one that requires you to kind of venture out in a different way. And if you lacked some of those initiations and rites of passage, the failure is much more obvious than it is for women.
1: Yeah. Men are more explicit than women in the way they manifest in the world. And I think we tend to think of men as demonstrating their maturity, you might say, by pretty explicit acts. Like, what have you built? True. Um, What's -hmm. your status? Mm -hmm. How much money do you have? How big is your family? Mm. These are things that we kind of normally like. That's how we kind of judge men or we think of men as being in the world in a very explicit way with tangible results and I think with women, there is more of a sense of sort of an implicit pattern they have, mm. an implicit way of being in the world where yeah. there's a lot going on inside of them. But there's not as much expectation for them to kind of command a lot of materials or have a bunch of land or have a big car or something like that. Mm. And I think that's like partly partly a intrinsic um, human nature thing, but it's also a, a very strongly a cultural thing. Yeah. That's the expectations that we put up, put on men. Um, men also swing more wildly in their manifestations than women. Mm. Women are more general. They're more balanced. Mm. They're more kind of even keel. And men tend to, again, as you said, the kind of men, the way that men sort of venture outward. Yeah, they're kind of doing this thing where they they sort of go out into the world. And this can be in a, a metaphorical sense or even sort of an intellectual sense. They kind of go out and explore mm. and get fixated on projects and so it's a lot more likely that men are going to be more extreme in the work they do or their interests Mm. or even their risk taking where they're much more likely to fail so i think you can see that part of the downfall of modernity is men getting a little more extreme about things like video games or hobbies or smoking weed or doing drugs so they're more a like way to kind of be that extreme pu'er than women. Mm. And they're also just more drawn to the virtual reality space, by which I mean the internet. Not just like VR specifically, but like the internet is, is just one big virtual reality that's becoming more and more kind of complex and detailed as time goes on where... Twitter is a virtual reality. It's like not clear that Twitter, the things you read on Twitter, it's not clear they actually map onto reality at all. Mm. They might just be totally virtual. The things yeah. people say, is this a fact? Is this true? No, I think it's been demonstrated clearly it's not. So men, I think, are more likely to get sucked into kind of the vortex of virtual reality. Mm. Video games, obviously, um, is more of a male thing. So there's a lot of things going on here, but I definitely think the Peter Pan syndrome, the pooh air Eternus is, is much more common in men. Um... And again, I think it's a tragedy. Mm. It's terrible. I yeah. think that a lot of men out there are really messed up yeah. and they don't know how to go out into the world and like claim it for their own. Mm. Claim themselves, um, become the person that, you know, they're meant to be. Um
0: Yeah, there's a way that both men and women get caught in the Puer Puella cycle, and you can see very obviously like that there's a sense of them being stuck you know can't commit to a job Mm -hmm. haven't accomplished much it's a shared experience but it's also important to to look to the greater patterns that we might see and then how does that speak to underlying structures that are being stressed and how is that tied to societal dynamics cultural dynamics that are feeding into it and if you're someone who feels like they're struggling with that you can start to look in at those those ties and those roots to that that sense of kind of being stuck in ambivalence of not being able to commit to struggling to really grow up, where, where does it come from within you? And how can you begin to both nurture the eternal child within so that you don't lose it, but also push it into, uh, or you might say out of its comfort zone so that you could actually embrace what adulthood is trying to bring to you.
1: All right, we have a dream from a 32-year-old female. And here's the dream. I was Frankenstein's monster, running away from someone. He used to be my friend, but was now hunting me. He chased me over hills and valleys and past an oval where kids were playing soccer. The kids' parents were people I went to school with. He chased me up an alley, and I jumped a fence and hid in a warehouse behind a parked car he was prowling the alley and now i saw he was a cyborg i had to stay low on the gravel or he would see my shadow he left and a pregnant woman entered the warehouse i sensed she was connected to my pursuer but that she would not hurt me i gave her a chess piece a queen mm. This
0: dream has some kind of classic dynamics going on of the chase of interacting with that unconscious shadow material in our dreams and kind of having that sense of anxiety and pursuit. And oftentimes that's where it ends in dreams, Um, that feeling that something's going to come get you, but sometimes it changes and that's a a detail that I feel is really important to make a note of here because the, the material that's chasing the ego consciousness shifts. And so we see within the dream itself that whatever's happening in this individual psyche is being mirrored here. And what appears to be a kind of um, intense figure Giving chase turns into a pregnant woman, which is such a different image and symbol for this um, shadow material, you might say.
1: Hmm. Imagining that you are Frankenstein's monster is pretty strange. Yes. That seems a little heavy.
0: It's very heavy. Yeah.
1: I'm trying to think back to how many times I've actually imagined myself (laughs) as being like not myself, but being some kind of like creature. And I feel like it's pretty rare. But if the, if the association with Frankenstein's monster is pretty direct and typical, mm-hmm. you might say, it's perceiving yourself as a freak yeah. or perceiving yourself as sort of a collection of parts that yeah. don't actually belong together. Yes, yeah. Um, maybe you perceive yourself as being like green-skinned hmm. and having weird metal pieces coming out of you in the yeah. sense that like you're not fully human. Yeah. Um, that you've been... Placed in this environment artificially, and you don't actually belong here. In mm. fact, you don't even belong in existence yeah, yeah. at all. And that's sort of Frankenstein's monsters struggle is like, why was I born? Yeah. Why was I created?
0: Feeling alienated because you are monstrous mm. and not necessarily by one's own hand, yet you have to suffer the reality of it. Mm-hmm. The dreamer mentions in the form that they had been going through a couple of years of depression and anxiety. And through that process had been avoiding a lot of problems in their life, especially with family and had isolated themselves from close friends, um, their family members. And that to me really evokes what Frankenstein's monster must go through, right? Like you feel disconnected from the world. Mm -hmm. You can tell that you don't belong and in the dream, the person chasing them, they mention, is someone that used to be a friend. So you have this container in the dream itself of that feeling of alienation as the the, the old friend in the dream. So this really striking symbolism that's speaking to this narrative in the dreamer's psyche of their years of anxiety, of isolation, of depression, and how they feel Like they don't belong, but at the same time the dream as a commentary on subjective dynamics, inner dynamics, is that you're perpetuating that cycle. You know, you project that you don't belong or you're not able to face your own anxieties. And so you continue to push away and that creates this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of not feeling like you belong with the greater collective.
1: Right. So she's seen children – of people that she used to be friends with Mm -hmm. or at least went to school with. Mm -hmm. And so there's this feeling of maybe lost um, opportunities Mm. or wasted life when you see people who have children and their children are thriving, playing soccer together, and you recognize, I don't have children. In fact, I'm a freak of nature, Mm -hmm. and I can't even stop to, like, mingle and be part of this um, wholesome, healthy world. I just have to like pass it by and look at it and keep running. And the chaser turns out to be a cyborg. Yeah. Which is sort of an interesting twist because the cyborg is also kind of a freak.
0: Mm-hmm. Not a human.
1: Not a human. Frankenstein mm-hmm. is kind of like an old timey cyborg. <laughs> kind of like pieces of humans put together. Mm-hmm. And with science like turned into a creature and a cyborg is sort of a similar idea. Though maybe a little more put together a little more sleek
0: Mm, mm -hmm. the dreamer mentions that this cyborg type chasing figure is part of a dream series that they have been experiencing dreams where they're Mm. being hunted by some sort of cyborg figure or a police uh, kind of military individual with heavy armor i see
1: robocop (laughs)
0: yeah exactly um And specifically they say that dehumanizes them. So there's this feeling of whatever's chasing them is representing this archetypal container of disconnection from human spirit and consciousness. And that's shown in the dream, both as you, you, the dream ego. So something in the conscious attitude feels disconnected from um, humanity, I might say. Mm -hmm. But also deep in the shadow is a perpetuating dynamic that's chasing you as well so there's both a cohesion in these reinforcing one another uh, but at the same time there's a shift and a change towards something so human that it, i don't think you could come up with a more typical example than a pregnant woman it's like the complete opposite of the cyborg right right she is the crucible of life yeah she's Uh, pregnant with the new energy that's going to come forward and so the Mm. the picture in the psyche that had been the the dehumanizing cyborg figure is actually behind the veil a potential for development new energy new life the creation that is waiting to be born that's being just stated right now in the unconscious
1: Right. And this seems related to the kids playing soccer, mm. seeing the family who has children. Right. The, old, the people that you, that you could have become. Mm-hmm. You were once equals with these people that you went to school with. They turned out to have children who mm-hmm. play soccer now. You're Frankenstein now. Mm. But then a pregnant woman enters the scene yeah. and there is sort of a feeling of like, well, maybe there's still a chance. or may, Or maybe I can, in fact, join the the group of healthy parents Mm. who have kids Mm -hmm. and she hands the pregnant woman a queen chess piece. Yeah. Which again is another chess is weird, but the queen is obviously a a feminine symbol. Yes. But it's also strangely, I would say since chess is such an old game, but the queen is like the most powerful piece on the board, but also feminine, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. sort of counterintuitive. Well, the cane is like the weakest piece on the board, almost not true. The pawns are, I guess, but, anyways. <laughs> um, so this powerful object symbol, a powerful feminine, mm-hmm. um, artifact being handed to the pregnant woman, yeah. Um, probably the pregnant woman is a part of herself, so mm-hmm. it's like the shadow monster is handing some kind of feminine power to the healthy side of herself Mm -hmm. maybe they're making a connection between these these fractured cells Mm -hmm. um a darker side a banished side that maybe actually possesses more power is handing that power over to a maybe lighter potential side Mm -hmm. of the pregnant woman
0: yeah the queen in chess is interesting because her power allows her to be extremely adaptable. Like she can do everything, right? Like yeah. she can move diagonally. She can move in an L shape like the knight. Like she, no, she, she no. can't do that. Okay. Well, <laughs> whatever. She's really <laughs> powerful. She could do all these things, right? I'm not a good chess player, guys. No,
1: <laughs> the queen could just like move wherever she wants, right? Just.
0: I thought she could do everything. Anyways, the point is, she's the most powerful piece on the chessboard. Yeah, and she she can move in many directions. (laughs) I I edit to say, and that to me speaks of adaptability. It speaks to like the feminine style of venturing out, rather than like the forceful kind of masculine hero. It's uh, more like adapting to the environment and also. Uh, kind of tapping into the feminine of relationality. And one thing the dreamer mentions is that they've lost connection with people through this period of darkness and depression. Mm -hmm. But there seems to be, at least lately a kind of turn in that maybe they're getting a little bit less isolated so how is the queen the pregnant woman a symbol from the psyche of what you can embody both as the potential for new energy and kind of like life energy and libido to really flow but also to take a both receptive feminine principle and also an active feminine principle and like kind of move out into the world and start to reconnect with these people that you've lost touch with. Um, Kind of knowing that you have this capability behind you, some sort of structure of of potential and like, yes, I can attitude that the queen chess piece does because she's like, she's, she kind of can turn the whole game around, right? When she comes out, Mm When she's on the board, she can move everything into a totally different direction. And so it's there certainly seems to be an invitation to embrace the active, powerful feminine principle as well as the more nurturing receptive principle.
1: If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com/slash golden shadow org.
0: Do you have a dream you'd like us to analyze? Head over to goldenshadow.org to submit your dream for possible interpretation on a future episode.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Until next time.